Just type in the word abacus. I think that might be accounting. Oh, that's that thing with the balls that you flick around? Yeah. Hi. Happy recording day. Also, sidebar, I realized that I didn't have the button pushed to on on my microphone, so I'm pretty sure that first minute and 30 seconds, it did not record what I was saying the topic of today is. Great. I'm glad you turned your mic on. Yeah, same. So I'm just going (laughs) to reiterate what the topic of today is. Today, we're going to be talking about queer voters, who queer voters are, who they vote for, and the consequences of that populace, like what, what decisions they're making for a larger group of people, because not every queer person is registered. And we can talk a little bit about why that might be too. That was also a better summary of the topic today because I wasn't as stuttery. So we'll take it. Cool. So should we do our, should really do be that way quick? Do you want to do the song? Um, okay. Boom, boom, clap. Boom, 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 clap. Boom, boom, clap. Really? Boom, 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 clap. Boom, boom, clap. Boom, 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 clap. That way. (laughs) (laughs) That was a slower, a slow roll. What's going on this week, Alyssa? Well, um, my work-life balance is starting to shift more in the work direction lately because Big Ten football starts up again October 24th. We'll go first. Yeah, I'm sort of in crunch time at the moment. No more vacations, no more screwing around at home. I mean, I still get to do that, but like I actually have like a decent amount of projects to work on now, so I can't. Uh, also on Monday, it was Otto's second birthday. Yay. <gasps> HBD, kitty. My baby orange baby is, <laughs> my baby orange baby mm-hmm. is officially two years old. Otto, look fing <laughs> orange, you look girl. <laughs> girl, look how orange you look girl (laughs) truly though well happy birthday to Otto that's exciting yes what about you oh um my she really do be that way is that I went on a hike in Maryland it's a trail that Shane had done it before but I hadn't and it was called Annapolis Rock it's along the Appalachian Trail lush and it's dog friendly and I was like well let's just give this a shot you know Thomas is like He's gone on hikes in the woods, but always been on like either relatively flat or pretty paved trails. And I was like, I think he'll be fine. Um, And it turned out that he was, but he was definitely like when it was like a steep incline and they put logs in the side of the hill to make it easier to take steps up. He was like sprinting. And I'm taking one step at a time. And so I'm like getting hurled up the hill and then vice versa on the way down. He would like, didn't want to take one stair. And there was points where it was like pretty gravelly. And I like my foot came out from underneath me and I was probably two seconds from landing right on my tailbone. And I was about to like scream so loud at Thomas. Thankfully there was other people around us. So I didn't, but I was like naughty. (laughs) I just kept like shaming him. (laughs) Could you just take him off the leash? It was too crowded. Oh. Everyone's trying to hike these seasons because what else do you do during quarantine? So it was a very populated trail, lots of other dogs. So we just didn't want to take that chance. I feel that. But it was fun. And now it gives me confidence that he can be a, a hiking puppy too. He's a hike boy? Yeah, he's a hike boy. That's cute. He's a hike beast. <laughs> a hike beast. That was really stupid. <laughs> okay, you're right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. I think we should take a quick break and then we'll rev our engines for the topic. Vroom, vroom. Get that motor running. Ooh, uh, running. Hard G. See you in a sec. BRB.
So I think that we'll start off the conversation focusing on who queer voters are. What's the demographic of LGBTQ plus people that actually go and vote? Right. And so there was a survey by the UCLA Williams Institute that focused on LGBT adults and sampled those that were regular voters and those that were not and just kind of looked at basically whose voice is being heard from the queer community. Gotcha. So they determined, and this was in 2020, by the way, they determined that there's about 9 million LGBT adults who are registered to vote. 21% of the LGBTQ plus community is not registered to vote. That's high. (laughs) That's a lot of people. That's a solid fifth of all LGBT plus adults. Close to a quarter. And it also says that compared to non-LGBT plus folk, aka the straights, there's only 17%. So, I mean, that 4% makes a pretty big difference, I would say. Especially if it's in key areas, which it likely is, because it's probably queer people in rural or less open and affirming cities and states that aren't registered. Those voices aren't being heard. Yeah, and that's impactful. And that probably is a good topic to save for the voter suppression discussion, because we can talk about why maybe those people aren't voting. Yes. Or why there's more queer people who aren't registered. Hmm. Yeah, put a pin in it, if you will. We'll save that for a later talk. We're going to table it. Put a pin in it. We'll table it. So of those people who are registered, how does that break down? Mm, That is a really, really good question. Yeah, I'm just like totally curious. You would think that majority of LGBT plus registered voters would be Democrat because that's just like the general assumption. Mm -hmm. So it's surprising to me that it's only 50%. Yeah. But part of me also thinks that that could be because the Republican percentage is only 15%. And then 22% independent. So there's a missing chunk there that I feel like is probably incredibly socialist or like very, very far left to the point where they don't even identify as Democrat. Because compared to the world scale in the United States, our Democratic Party is like essentially center. And so I feel like there's a vast majority of LGBTQ people that are even beyond that. Mm -hmm. You know, I honestly consider myself to be in that population, even though I would in this poll, I would register myself as a Democrat, probably. Yeah, it it probably depends on how they ask the question. Like if they ask in the last election, how did you vote versus like what party do you identify as? Right. I, I think that this was a question that asked what party do you identify as? But yeah, maybe people in that same group that you're discussing that are maybe don't like the direction that the Democratic Party is heading right now might register as independent. Yeah. So who knows? 22% of LGBTQ plus voters are Latino and only 13% are Black. So obviously white voices are making up a lot of the queer community in terms of voting. But the interesting thing is that almost half of the voters are below the age of 34. So it's definitely a younger queer community that's registered to vote, which I think is interesting and also really exciting because I think it was Shane who was telling me this, but there was an article recently that showed that people that are like in their 30s who are kind of the generation above us who previously identified as liberal are starting to shift more towards conservative voting patterns. And there's so many theories around how party affiliation plays out. But I think that there is something to be said that as you get older, perhaps there's like more economic capital that you gain over time. And I think that that might push you in certain directions, depending on who you vote for, especially locally. Right. One thing that I think it'll be interesting, though, to see how that plays out is like, so you're kind of referring to Gen X, I believe, which is the generation above us. Mm -hmm. But I saw something and I, I wish I had the source for this, but basically... In terms of relative like wealth accumulation, 
millennials are not accumulating wealth at nearly the same rate that Gen X and boomers have. And so I think that will then contradict the typical trend of becoming more conservative as you get older, because I think that that is essentially tied to your wealth accumulation. Like the more wealth you have, the less you want people to take it away. And because our generation is so used to not accumulating wealth in any way, shape or form, like most people our age are just scraping by that. I think the trend towards conservatism will kind of not end necessarily, but will rapidly decline. That's my hypothesis, but only time will tell. Only time will tell. Yeah, we're going to have to return to it in five years and see what happens. Related to age, though, an interesting comparison is that about 20% of LGBTQ plus voters are age 55 and up, whereas 40% of straight voters are age 55 and up. What is the significance of that, though? The implications, I think, for me is that among queer voters, we're hearing more from the young people than we are from the straight voters, yeah, which I think is really exciting and also not not surprising to me because being queer is inherently political, right? And so you kind of have to be more of an advocate for yourself and your needs and your rights at an earlier age, and you just become more invested in these topics earlier. Like, it's not surprising to me that for queer voters, there's a higher representation of young people. Got it. The other point that I wanted to talk about was gender breakdown. And so 57% of queer voters are men, which is kind of annoying to me, and 43% are women, which if you add those together, that means that only 3% of the queer community is gender diverse, which I feel like is, I feel like there's a faux pas with the way this survey was asked. Mm -hmm. Maybe they just didn't collect all of the identities appropriately. And so people were forced into certain categories, but I would bet, well, actually, you know, If we're talking about voter suppression, there could be a lot of reasons why gender diverse people aren't registered or have challenges with registering. So actually, this may be true. We'll get there. We'll get there. We're putting another pin in it. We'll table it. Put a pin in it. (laughs) Okay, Alyssa. So do you think it's a problem then that most of LGBTQ plus voters are white, younger, but probably a little bit more middle aged and men? Um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mostly just because anytime you're talking about a clear majority of something that automatically implies that you're not getting a balanced representation of voices, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so it's not necessarily that those people aren't making good decisions. It's along the lines of like certain perspectives and, you know, ideologies are not being represented enough. So yeah, I'd say it's a problem. I mean, and queerness is experienced so differently across different cultural groups. Like, it definitely is influenced by culture in so many ways. So I think what people need and their rights that they're trying to achieve and all of that is going to be varied. And so to think that white gay men, basically, are going to be able to, like, vote in favor of everyone. They are the voice of the entire group. And it's like they're missing out on a ton of different perspectives. You know what I mean? That just like aren't being acknowledged or aren't being incorporated into policy and other sort of discussions even. And I like your little bullet point here on our little worksheet. I think it makes a good point of like gay men can still be sexist and they can still be racist. And that goes for really any marginalized group can still cause harm to other marginalized groups. You'd think that if you're experiencing marginalization or discrimination of some sort, that you would be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this to other people. And yet here we are. We still have a plethora of issues in regards to sexism and racism within the queer community itself. So ah, I don't get it. 
Yeah, and I think there's a trap that a lot of gay men fall into. I, honestly, this could be a whole other episode, but just yeah. briefly. I think that because we identify as a minority, that we think we know how they feel. We right. know how black people feel being a minority, or we know how, even if you're cisgender, you might expect that you understand what trans people feel. The experiences are so different. It brings up the topic of intersectionality that like, it's really not just one status that gives you the knowledge to show empathy and understand that perspective. It's like so many different intersecting identities that you just can't possibly know what that experience is like. I think that would be a good future episode. Should we uh, put a pin in it? <laughs> yeah, we're going to table it. <laughs> oh my God. We have so many pins. Dang, we need a thimble. <laughs> okay. So... Still continuing off that same kind of survey from UCLA Williams Institute, what kind of trends are we observing about who queer people tend to vote for, what their preferences look like, what kind of issues are important to them? Yes. So I thought that this was interesting. They kind of talked about topics that were important. What things in a presidential candidate do you want to see? And so most queer voters, as well as non-queer voters, said that a candidate's race would not matter to how they voted. However, a higher percentage of LGBTQ plus voters said that they were more likely to support a candidate because the candidate was Black or Latino than straight voters. So that might illustrate the point that queer people want diversity in leadership, that they understand that you don't simply elect someone because of their race, but you know that their race gives them a viewpoint that is so critically important that can give representation to so many other people. Yep. And so it's not a factor that you can just ignore. You can't be colorblind. Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of people on the opposite side of the aisle tend to misunderstand. It's like you're not voting for them just because they're gay. You're acknowledging that that portion of their identity plays a role in how they're going to approach issues moving forward. Identity shapes policy. Yeah. And there are a ton of people of color that do support very conservative ideals. And like, if that's not your platform, then you should make sure that you find someone that fills both of those values for you, which is both platform policy, but also you want diversity, you respect that you value it, and you can achieve both. Well, and that also that kind of reminds me of Pete, Mayor Pete, he was an openly gay political candidate. And so you'd think the LGBT plus population would flock to him, right? And I think a lot of people did because they're like, oh, he's gay, I'm gay, representation. But then when you actually look at his policies, some people within the queer community, even though he was gay, was like, I would prefer a different candidate because you have to consider identity as much as you would consider policy. It's just like another element to consider when choosing a candidate, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think that he was very smart and had great ideas, but I don't think that he had the platform that I supported the most going into like the primary. Yeah, me either. I would also say that I really wanted a woman candidate because I think that women make better leaders in general. And so I factored in gender in my decision pretty highly because that's a value of mine. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Agreed. Agreed. This next point is kind of interesting that they found. Both queer and straight people said that they would support a gay or lesbian candidate like that wouldn't alter how they voted. However, queer people said that they are much more likely than straight voters to say that they would support a gay or lesbian candidate. Both said it wouldn't matter how they voted, but gay people were more likely to say, like, oh, if they're gay, I probably would be more interested in them as a candidate. This is interesting how this broke down by gender. So 41% of queer voters said that they would be more likely to vote for a gay candidate and 34% said that they would be more likely to vote for a lesbian candidate. So like, there's a difference of 
7% there that favors men, basically. The woman factor. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. I mean, that, that literally proves our point that sexism exists within the queer community. Pretty crazy. Because it's like, if you're going on sexuality alone, in theory, you'd expect the same numbers. But because it's a man and a woman, it's that stereotype of women leadership that's alive and well, viewing how well a woman can do her job compared to a man. Yeah. Okay, that was a lot of info. I have a tickle in my throat. And so I think that we should take a quick break. I can get my life together. And then we can talk about voter suppression. Loving that. Let's do it. Okay. See you in a jiffy. So we're back and we're going to start talking about voter suppression generally, but also maybe particularly how it impacts queer people. Yeah. We're pulling the pin. Yes. (laughs) Should we take the pin out? (laughs) It's time to talk about it. Great. Kick us off. Okay. So one thing that I'm sure many of you have seen on your social media feeds, on the news, articles about it is, you know, those long lines on polling days and people waiting hours and hours and hours to literally cast one vote and it's excessive. A lot of times those stories are sold to us as, wow, look at how dedicated these people are to the American democracy. So brave. When in actuality, that is a prime example of voter suppression. You should not have to be waiting seven hours in line to cast a vote. And we also know that voter suppression disproportionately impacts marginalized people. So one study that I found, uh, there's a New York Times article about it, that there's a 2019 study led by the economist Keith Chen from the University of California, and they measured voter waiting times at roughly 40,000 polling places during the 2016 election. And the report found that residents of entirely black neighborhoods waited 29% longer to vote than their counterparts in entirely white neighborhoods. Mm. So that right off the bat is problematic. There's another finding that black voters were 74% more likely to wait more than half an hour to cast their ballots. I mean, granted, this is just one study and it's from the 2016 election, but that is a prominent issue that's going to be happening this year, too. I can see some people saying like, oh, waiting times, whatever. They had to wait a little bit longer. Not a big deal. But time is so valuable. Yeah. And time is even more valuable for people of color because they do tend to fulfill more jobs that are frontline workers and working 40 plus hours a week. And so taking time off of work to go vote is extremely valuable. It can significantly impact someone's income for that week or month. So when they have to wait longer, that's like less income, that's disrupting their workflow more. It might be disrupting childcare. It really does matter more than just an inconvenience. Also, I feel like it's not fair to judge until that's happened to you. Like just because you don't personally experience voter suppression does not mean that it's not happening across the country to literally thousands of people. So besides, you know, waiting times, there's a lot of other voter suppression going on. The ACLU did a piece talking about voter suppression tactics in 2020, and this is from February. So some bullet points I'm just going to list off that made me really pissed. (laughs) So 70 percent, 70, 70 percent of Georgia voters purged in 2018 were black. Like each year, if someone's registration's not up to date, their registration is nullified. Is that what that means? I think so. Or like the ballots themselves don't count for some reason. Ah. So 70% of those votes that were purged in 2018 in Georgia were black people. 
Across the country, one in 13 black Americans cannot vote due to disenfranchisement laws. So whether that be voter ID, whether that be like felony laws, that type of thing. One third of voters who have a disability report difficulty in the voting process. Only 40% of polling places fully accommodate people with disabilities. Across the country, counties that have a larger minority population have fewer polling sites and poll workers per voter, which then leads to those lines that you hear about. The last bullet point, six in 10 college students come from out of state in New Hampshire, and that state is trying to block residents with out-of-state driver's licenses from registering to vote. Oh my God. I think that that last point is helpful to segue into like particularly voter suppression among queer people because- it's voter ID that's one of the biggest barriers that I was reading about. So there's a couple of articles that I found, and also the Williams Institute also commented on this in some of their polls, was that voter ID laws in some states require that a person's documentation match the birth assigned gender. So if someone has affirmed a different gender over time or identifies as non-binary or gender diverse or gender fluid, and that's not matching what's on their ID, their state ID or driver's license, that can preclude someone from being able to cast a ballot. And we know that over time, there has been increases in people who identify as gender exploring or gender diverse. And so like if someone has a state ID that maybe has like their dead name or dead gender on it, you're forcing them to like re-traumatize themselves simply to like vote. (laughs) Yeah, a civic duty and right. Voter suppression straight up. And it's real. Like in August of 2018, the Williams Institute polled trans voters More than half of trans adults had documentation or an ID that did not correctly reflect their gender. That's like literally insane that that many people who are gender diverse experience barriers to having their voice heard and who they want to like lead the country that they live in. Yeah, not a great time. Voter suppression is, I mean, it's talked about a lot, but I think rightfully so because it's like only getting worse with time. It's actually like low-key kind of terrifying how hard not to just throw the Republican Party under the bus, but essentially how hard Republicans are trying to keep people from voting because they know that the people that they are disenfranchising are the ones that want to kick them out of office. Yeah, it's intentional. I also think that it's so much larger than just this Trump shutting down the post office. That's like a very explicit, present, visible form of it, but it operates in such implicit and like under the radar ways that need to be addressed. Yeah, that's just one form of it. So on that note, moving on. (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about then like maybe the flip side, let a little fire under your booty and talk about like, okay, queer people who are not registered. What's at stake? Yeah. So this is the problem. I might have a very unpopular opinion of this, but what was it, 2016? The Bernie or Bust people or the people now that are like, Kamala's a cop, I can't believe it. I'm not going to vote for that party. I understand your frustration and I understand that maybe your values and your policy platform is not visible in the Democratic Party right now. But here's the thing that's like on the line for so many people, like queer rights are on the line, women's rights are on the line, healthcare access, climate Our earth is on the line. And so I understand that feeling of disappointment and and feeling upset about it. But you also need to think about other people that are affected by policy. And so when you don't vote, it's not thinking of the collective. Yeah, I agree. And it's like, it's absolutely your right to not vote. But I think that not voting has more serious consequences than perhaps sacrificing your personal values or opinions that you may have. Trust me, I'm not a huge Joe Biden fan. 
but I can recognize that it'll be easier to mold a Biden presidency into something that looks like what I like Mm -hmm. than it would be for Trump. Yeah. Some things that I think people don't think about is, for example, the fact that Trump has now gotten to appoint three different Supreme Court justices and is in the process of appointing the third. Gay marriage can be potentially on the line, especially because two justices, Clarence Thomas and Samuel A. Alito Jr., made comments about the Obergefell versus Hodges Supreme Court case that was marriage equality. There's justices on the Supreme Court that would have no problem overturning that decision, which marriage isn't everything, but there's definitely financial benefits to it for queer people. And that's a right that we would not have access to. Yeah, a lot is on the line. Precisely. So please, if you haven't already, well, this probably is going to come out past most registration deadlines, but I hope that you did vote. And I hope that November 3rd brings you peace and hope. Well, another thing to consider is we're probably not going to have results on November 3rd because it's going to take a long time for all the absentee stuff to come in. To reference John Oliver, he talks about the blue wave where it could look as though Trump wins on election night and then Biden will take the lead after the fact. And that will give Trump the ability to call in to question the legitimacy of the election. This is just something that people are projecting as like a possible outcome. So just get ready because it's going to be a turbulent November for sure. But it's important. Yes, but it is important. I think that's enough voting for me personally. So let's take a quick break and then we can come back and discuss potential action items aside from voting because that probably will be past due. Yeah. Well, and I don't want to speak for you and I don't want to speak for our listeners, but I personally am sick and tired of everyone being like, go vote, go vote, go vote, as if it's going to fix everything when, as we just listed above, voter suppression is a real issue. And I know they're just trying to allow people to focus on what they can do to ensure a safe future. But yeah, I think it's a little bit ignorant to just assume that voting will fix everything because we know it won't. And we're going we gonna to have to keep the pressure on post-election season. Retweet. Okay, we'll be right back. Cool. So I really liked the introduction that I did last time, the walk the talk. Isn't that good? That was so good. Do you have a better option? Walk that talk. (laughs) Boots the house down Vogue. Okay, so Alyssa and I were just chatting off mic that we kind of think this whole episode is an action item, potentially. (laughs) Yeah. But also, this is going to come out well past when you have to submit your ballot. So I guess if you vote same day, maybe not. But I think a lot of people are voting early or by mail-in ballot. Anyways, we were thinking potentially a different take, like a walk the talk for this week could be how to cope with whatever outcome arises. Because I think 2016 was shocking, to say the least, for a lot of people. And I had a very hard time bouncing back from that for weeks. Like It was just a very disorienting time. Mm -hmm. So I think that we could be proactive and maybe set some realistic expectations. That's a great way to like, you know, I hope that this will happen. But if this happens, I'll still be okay. (laughs) Well, my thing is, it's like, we know November 3rd is going to be hell on earth, regardless of outcome, regardless of what the polls say. Everyone knows that it's going to be rough. So take that information and try to prepare as best you can. Mm -hmm. Get your favorite snacks in the house, set up some fun plans for the week. You're going to need to decompress 
So just prepare for that, I think, is my takeaway item. Mm -hmm. And I think that that could also look like staying socially connected. Even if you feel like you want to withdraw, many other people are going to be feeling the same way as you. So reach out and give yourself time. Think of ways that you can creatively cope. That's your walk the talk this week. Okay, well. Okay, now the fun part. (laughs) Yeah, now we can stop talking about voting for five minutes and talk about drag names instead. That's a drag name. Name, name, that's a drag name, name, name. (laughs) I don't remember who went first last time. I went first. Okay. Well, I'll go first. My name is just a name, but I'll explain the inspiration after I say it. So my drag name this week is Visalia Banks. Ooh, Visalia? Yes. So Visalia is the name of, I think it's either like a county or like a city, like an area in California. The East Area Rapist, aka the original Night Stalker, aka the Golden State Killer. He also was known as the Visalia Ransacker. Oh. And so that's what got me familiar with the word Visalia. But then I also think it sounds like Azalea Banks. Yes. So that's why I picked Banks as the last name. But yeah, Visalia Banks. I really like that origin story. And I'm interested to know what your vision is for her as a drag queen. Is she like serial murderer or like, no? No, I don't think she's the type of queen. Like her name doesn't really impact her style, if that makes sense. Okay. Like she's just here to win. Right. I'm into that. Yeah. I can see it. Okay. That was great. My drag name this week is honestly just fucking stupid, but here it is. <laughs> Her name is Stacy Got Stacks. Stacy Got Stacks? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like that. Wait, honestly, Visalia Banks and Stacy Got Stacks can be like the house of cash. Yes, they co host for sure on a night. Yeah, because. Where is Stacy Scott Stacks going to store her monies in Visalia Banks? In Visalia's bank. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. I mean, obviously, it's like a play on Baby baby Got Back, but I'm like... Well, and Stacks has to be spelled S-T-A-X-X-X. Oh, right. Yeah, triple X. Yeah, for sure. Like, I just imagine exactly that. She is voluptuous. She's an exotic dancer. She loves money and her thong waistband. Like, she's into it. Got a ton of plastic surgery. Ton. Yeah. So much filler in her lip. It's like almost into her nose. It's so good. Okay, I'm really loving these names this week. I was for sure that they were going to be bad, but (laughs) (laughs) Stacey got stacks. And Visalia Banks. Okay, well, this was a really great episode, everyone. I hope that you learned some things, because I certainly did. Yeah, I feel like it was timely and coherent, for the most part. (laughs) I would agree, for the most part. Okay, well, this is probably the last episode for the next six months. Yep, we'll talk to you after the election. (laughs) (laughs) See you in 2021. We'll just keep you on your toes. Just be on the lookout. You know, you never know when a new episode's going to drop. Yeah, we're kind of like, we're like spunky and spontaneous. Like be like, ooh, you never know. Like, Like, it's just out of nowhere, out of the blue. Sorry to drop in unannounced like this. You're just going to wake up one morning and be like, a new episode? Well, you have to be subscribed, actually, to do that. And you have to turn on notifications if you want that to happen. But I would recommend it because it's not like we're going to be blowing up your phone. That's going to be your action item. <gasps> yes. To <laughs> subscribe to Queer Exchange and turn on your notifications so that when we drop a new Shadoozy episode, you'll get a notification. 
Yeah. And it'll obviously make your day. So So on that note, I guess we'll see you later. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye. (laughs) Have a great day. (laughs) Bye. Or night. I don't know when you're listening. Okay, bye. And I'm Sophie Anderson, and we are the Cock Destroyers.